Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Promise Center's weekly podcast. We hope that this message blesses you and encourages you to take your next step in following Jesus. As always, feel free to check us out at www.thepromisecenter.com for more information on our church, what we're doing to make a difference in Sonoma County, and how you can partner with us. God bless, and enjoy this week's message. So we, we, are, we are starting a new sermon series, and it starts today, and uh, it's, a, it's kind of a big idea out of the Beatitudes. Anybody heard of the Beatitudes? Okay. So this, now, this is not Ebonics for, hey, you got some Beatitude. This is something different than that, but it can also work that way, all right? Um, this, is, this is Jesus' most famous sermon, okay? How many has ever heard of the, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like the, so we got the best preacher. And uh, the most famous sermon, and it's called the Beatitudes, and this sermon ends with this story, and he's going to talk about these things. So Jesus is going to be like teaching, preaching, sharing, and then be like, okay, here it is. Now I want to tell you about these things, how important it is for you to get them. Okay, so we're going to read that together. Matthew chapter 7 and 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying, here we go, these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So Jesus says, here's the sermon. Now I want to talk to you about how you need to make sure that you get this sermon. And when he talked about these things, the crowd was like, whoa, awesome job. Jesus, all right? So we're going to talk about this for just a few minutes today. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we get to start a conversation that's going to continue for a couple weeks about your word, about this amazing sermon that you preach, the Beatitudes, about uh, your plan for our lives to take us to a next level, a higher altitude, to see the purposes and promises of God. Lord, we know that we cannot do this alone, that even the, the spies that went into the promised land couldn't carry the grapes alone, and that your promises require for us to knit our hearts together and do this in community. It cannot be done alone. So we thank you, Lord. We honor you, God. You are so good. Continue to speak to us in Jesus' name, and the church say amen. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so how many guys here, how many dudes here, um, you're handy around the house? You're really good. Something breaks. You're like, I got it. How many here? Just raise your hand. We got some, some, some of the ladies raising their hand. All right, appreciate that. Appreciate that. All right, all right. Got some, got some hands. No, that's not a hand. That's a waving. You're warm. Okay, we'll get the AC going. Um, how many here? How many here? Good, 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 good. How many guys? How many guys? Okay, how many guys will admit with me, like me, um, not very good around the house? Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about cleaning. I'm talking about fixing things, fixing things. Not very good. You've got speed dial. You know who to call, right? You know who owes you a favor. You know how to bring them over for a pizza party. And there's this thing that we've got to talk about, right? We've got to fix. So long, long story short, long story short, when we first moved to Santa Rosa, we moved into an old house, old house, and built in 1933. And uh, 
it was it had a lot of little things that we loved, but a lot of things that we didn't like, like small little rooms and toilets that didn't quite flush. You had to pray that they just yeah. So it was just things like that, just old plumbing, old electrical stuff, yada yada yada. But there was this this crack on the wall, right? And you've seen like like plaster or sheetrock start splitting, and there's like a big crack. And so my wife's like, "Hey, honey, can you fix the crack on the wall?" And of course, I'm like, "I can fix it, but why fix it?" when we can put a big picture right over it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, why spend the material to try to fix it? And, and you know this, guys, as, as well as I, that the worst thing you can hear your wife say is like, so-and-so's husband could fix it. Come on, somebody. You know that when they say that, like, it's like, like you either got to man up or it's like you got to, like, get the money out and pay a professional. So, like, I tried. I was like, I'll get some caulking. I'll, 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 I'll get a little bit of paint. It looks kind of like a, a bright white, right? That's just a, a normal one kind of paint. Of course, you realize later that there are many different kinds of white paint. And so trying that out and yada, yada, yada. So I feel like I did a good job. I caulked the crack, big crack on the, in, in the wall. And a couple months later, the crack comes back. And I'm like, this crack is from the devil. It's from the devil, and the devil's trying to fight us, and... You know, he's trying to intimidate me. You will not intimidate. It almost even looked like a frowny face. I was like, this is not going to work, devil. But anyways, just kidding. And uh, so we're like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll, you know, Chad doesn't know how to do it right. We'll get someone who knows what to do. So we brought someone in. They fix it up. They use, the, you know, the, the yellow, like, mesh stuff, right? And they put the mesh up there, and then they got the little the trowel, and they like, or whatever it's called. I don't even know what they're called, but they're, they're doing it. It looks real professional. It looks good. He's like, is this a... B-Y-R-Q coding. I don't even know what he's saying. He's using words I don't even know. So I'm like, this guy is so smart. He knows what he's talking about. He fixes this crack in the wall. And I'm like, yes, it's done. Hallelujah, amen. And then a couple months later, the crack is back. Turn your neighbor and say, the crack was back. The crack was back. And so we like, oh, man, that dude did not know what he was doing. Coming here, took our $130 intimidated me in front of my family because I couldn't do it. So we got another dude. Another guy comes and he's like looking at it. He said, man, we've, we've, I've done this and this guy did this. And the guy said, I can't help you. I was like, what do you mean you can't help me? He's like, I can't help you. I was like, is, is it me? What, like what's wrong? He's like, you don't have a wall issue. You have a foundation issue. Your issue is not the wall. It's the foundation of the house. It's sinking. And if the foundation's bad, guess what? The whole thing is going to be off. And a lot of people, Jesus is opening this up to us, a lot of people are trying to fix the cosmetics of the house when the foundation is bad. A lot of Christians are trying to do patchwork in areas of their life going, we'll fix it with a little bit of this, do a little kumbaya, a little bit of prayer, fix it like that. I need to join a small group because I got some, I got a crack right, right through the living room, right there, right through the heart of the house, right through the heart of my soul. I got a little crack and I'm going, I'm going maybe, maybe a little Jesus juice and some small group will help. But it wasn't a wall issue. It was a foundation issue. And what I love about Jesus is he's not into cosmetics. He is into getting down to the, to the point and the foundation of what is wrong. Jesus doesn't want you to put a little makeup on it, cover up the blemish. He wants to get to the heart 
of the matter. That's what Jesus does. And so what we see here, Jesus gives us the story of two people, two men, two builders who come up with a great idea. Both had a desire to build something, but had a diametrically different outcome. The Bible says one guy went through a storm, and when it was done, he was standing strong. His house was standing strong. And the other built a house, but when the storm came, great was the destruction. It was bad. It was, the house was toppled. Everything was turned upside down when the storm came. Two men, two homes, two different stories, one big problem. And Jesus is going to address it. The problem wasn't desire. I don't believe that either, either one of these men set out to go, yeah, you know what, I'm going to build something, but I really would love for it to just break down in a couple years. Nobody's like, I'm going to build my house, or I'm going to build my home, or I'm going to build my family. And I'm going to build it to fail, because I'd love for in a couple years for all of this to fall apart. Nobody does that. Nobody does that with the marriage. Nobody does that with relationships. Nobody does that with their ministry. Because a home can mean life, it can mean uh, ministry, it can mean uh, your family. A home in the Bible can mean a lot of different things. And we're building, and we're builders. All of us, inherently, we are, we're building things. But it wasn't desire or lack of desire that was the issue. And it wasn't even like, hey, man, you know, you used the wrong color of paint. Or, you know what, you had too many doors into the house. That wasn't the issue. It wasn't the design. I love the latitude that God gives us and the capacity that God gives us for the creativity and uh, the, the ability for like, hey, you have a passion for this, go for it. I love what Jesus does as he releases ministry and releases the church to be the church. But one of the things you can't get away from is this, is that you can't build a skyscraper with a chicken coop foundation. If you want a big life, you're going to have to have a strong foundation. Not desire, not wishful thinking. It goes back to the foundation. When I used to work downtown Houston, and I used to work for TI Energy Services, and I used to, uh, I, was, I, I did a lot of things. I was in the admin department, so they would send me to Enron. Remember bad Enron? I used to go up to like the... 30th floor and deliver stuff, and who knows what it was. I have no, maybe I was the guy who was inside trading. I have no idea. I was a carrier for whatever. No idea. But building buildings, building skyscrapers, and I'd walk by, and I would see a new skyscraper being built, and before it went up, they went really, really deep down low, excavating tons of sand, getting to the bedrock, pouring a strong foundation, because if you want to go high, you first got to go deep. And we have enough shallowness in the world. And if we're going to build something of significance that's going to be able to stand the weather of, the, of life and the storm of life, guess what? We have to have a strong foundation. The foundation matters. How we build matters. And getting down to the, the bedrock, getting down to the strong foundation, it's work. It's a lot easier just to like, let's just throw up a house right here. Just throw it up. How do we build? Let's just start building the floor. It's not anchored to anything. You're not going to have a skyscraper last if it's built on a chicken coop foundation. And we're tricking ourselves and we're, we're, we're psyching ourselves out believing that we can get away with, with, with half effort without being intentional 
about this life that God has called us to steward and to build to his glory. Some of you are building strong marriages. You're building strong families. You're building strong faith. And I applaud you for that. You, you, you want it. You want to see good days. You want to, because here's the truth of the matter. It wasn't about who went through the storm and who didn't. It wasn't about desire, who wanted it more. And it wasn't like, well, this guy went through a storm and this guy, because he built it right, there was no storm. The storm came to both. The builder who built on the good foundation, the rock, the solid foundation, and the guy who built on the sand, the storm comes to everybody. So if you're here today and you're a believer and you're anchored on the rock of Christ Jesus, can I just tell you something? That doesn't mean you're going to get inoculated and no storm is going to come your way. There are storms that are going to come your way, but the storm is going to reveal what your life is built on. Sinking sand or a solid rock, the storms will come. Right? How many, people, how many people here, you get mail sometimes, and it just says, occupant. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even care who it gets. Just it, whoever's there, right? It's like whoever's there. And Jesus said, in this life, in this world, you will have tribulation. Uh, because we occupy this world, we will have storms. We will go through trials. There will be obstacles. There will be temptations. There will be things that come our way that are out of our control. The wind blew. The storm came. The rains came down. Guess what? There was one that survived. The point is there is survival even through the storm. He's called us to weather the storm, to outlast the storm. And I want to speak over someone here today. You're in a storm, but it isn't going to last forever, and you will remain standing in Jesus' name. This is not the end of your story. Amen. We have to be built on the solid foundation. So it wasn't desire, and it wasn't, it wasn't skill, and it wasn't even like really like hearing the instruction because Jesus said, you know, one man heard, and the other one heard. One man built, and the other one built. And both men wanted to weather the storm. The desire was there. They both heard the instruction. But Jesus says something interesting. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Ah, there it is. You see, I've read this passage a million times, and I thought it was the Bible knowledge of knowing that would keep me and keep my life, keep my family, keep whatever God has called me to build from crashing down. And it wasn't just knowing. He says, you got to put it into practice. Turn to your neighbor and say, put it. Say it again one more time. Put it into practice. Now, here's why this is an issue. Are you ready? Buckminster Fuller, who's an architect, he also created the geodesic dome, uh, which is the dome at Epcot Center. Anybody been to Disney World, Epcot Center? Anybody like that? Epcot Center, my favorite in Disney World. Haven't been in a long, long, long time, but it's pretty awesome. This is your commercial brought to you by Mickey Mouse. Just kidding. He invented it. It's also, also a futurist and a system theorist, and he wrote a book called The Critical Path. And essentially his book was all about the knowledge doubling curve. He talked about how knowledge... In, the, in the, the cumulative knowledge in the world, how often that knowledge doubles. So he says if you were born uh, when Jesus was born, it took 1,500 years for the, the cumulative knowledge all over the world, what people understood, okay, 
what people knew to double. It took 1,500 years from, from when Jesus was born uh, till knowledge doubled. 1,500 years. And then he said after that, it was 250 years. And then it doubled again every 100 years up until World War II. And then after World War II, it started doubling every 25 years up until the 1990s, where it started doubling every 18 months. Now they say today, knowledge doubles every 12 hours. So if you're born in the days of Jesus, it would take 1,500 years, a millennia and a half for knowledge to double. And if you were born yesterday morning, by the time you went to bed at night, hopefully you went to bed, little baby. We have some new families here, and they're like, Pastor, just pray that our baby goes to bed. Anyways, we're praying for you. God bless you. 12 hours, knowledge, cumulative knowledge has doubled in 12 hours. Our issue in the world is not knowledge or even access to knowledge. There's a lot of information. Has anybody, like, felt that? You're like, there is so much. Like, you can never stop listening, like, like learning from podcasts and even preaching and TED Talks and this and that and the newspaper. And now, I mean, and you can access it anyway. It's paper. It's online. It's on your phone. It's everywhere. I get updates about news. Like, I know when stuff happens immediately. It's on my phone. Like, boom, ding. I'm like, oh, someone's texting me. No, it's just news from around the world, okay? Information, information, information. And this has definitely caused um, frustration. In fact, uh, Thomas Freeman calls it the age of acceleration. And uh, he wrote a book called Thank You for Being Late. He's a uh, journalist with the New York Times. And essentially he talks about uh, the moniker of our culture essentially is there's this curve where now we don't even, we can't even adapt or evolve to technology and information. So there's this anxiety on humanity now because we can't even adapt quick enough to what's out there. Because you remember when your, your, your grandma didn't have a, a phone? You're like, come on, grandma, get a, get a cell phone, get a cell phone, get a cell phone. And so, like, the smartphones came out, and she finally got a flip phone. Right? You're like, you got a flip phone. The, the adaptation. And now it's like you, you get a smartphone, and within, like, two weeks it's a dumb phone because now it's outdated, right? This stupid dumb phone. The 10.739. I want the 10.738. No, 10.378, oh, there it is. I want the new one, the better one. There's always another one. And we can't even, we, we as a human species, these are sciences saying this, we can't even adapt. We can't even adapt to the changes and the information that's being poured our way. It's like trying to drink water out of a fire hose. It's virtually impossible. And so what he says is there's this anxiety that's hovering over humanity now. It's an information anxiety. Has anybody felt that? Like you always feel like, I don't know. Someone comes up and they're like, hey, have you heard about that? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know that yet. Like, ding. Oh, there it is. Oh, yes, yes, got it. Here we go. Yep, that thing, that thing. One more reference. Neil Postman, cultural mom, mon, uh, commentator, he says this he, in his book, Amusing, amusing ourselves to death. He says this. The tie between information and action has been severed. Information is now a commodity that can be bought and sold, be used as a form of entertainment or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. It comes indiscriminately, directed at no one, in particular disconnected from usefulness, 
We are now glutted with information, drowning in information, and have no control over it, and don't know what to do with it. And he calls it the information to action ratio. He coined this phrase, information to action ratio. So here's what he talks about. He talks about, you know, back in the day, whenever you were, you know, heard news, usually when you heard news, it was like news about something very local, something you could do about it, right? Like, Joe's barn is on fire. And you live, like, in a community of, like, 100 people, maybe, like, maybe, maybe if you live in a big city, like, two, 3,000 people. Joe's barn's on fire. And what didn't happen was, oh, my goodness, hashtag no more barn fires. Not on our watch. Next week, we're marching against barn fires. We want everyone out there. No, what you did was get a bucket full of water, and you ran, and you helped Joe with his fire. You did something about it. Hey, we're going to do a YouTube uh, deal. We're going to talk about how, like, we can't let society have these fires anymore because we just can't have it. And we become emotionally connected to stuff and do nothing about it. And he, he attributes this all the way back to the telegraph. Not Wi-Fi, not the smartphone. He goes all the way back to the telegraph and he says, this is the first time that information from another place, but the same time, was entering our hands. Because you could get news from a far country, but it was done. Hey, you know, the, the New Orleans, Battle of New Orleans, right? Like there was a battle fought in New Orleans, 2,000 people died, but there was already a peace treaty in Europe that happened two weeks before, but the, the news didn't get to New Orleans in time, so there was a battle after they already said, we're good, peace, no more fighting. Like, news traveled very slow, but by the time you got it, many times, it was already done. Oh, there was a battle overseas. Oh, and, and Babylon, here's what happened. And it's news, it's history. But now, because of the telegraph, we get information and we are connected to it emotionally, but we're not able to do anything about it. I mean, I, do you guys feel this way? You know, the standoff, U.S. and China standoff, and what are we going to do, and what's trade going to look like? You know, Donald Trump and, and Kim Jong-un, and are they going to meet? Are they not going to meet? And we're like, we're, we're emotionally involved in this, and we cannot do anything about it. And so what he says is this, is he says, we have high information Low action ratio. This is what our society has become. We have a ton of head knowledge, and we don't know how to help. And it's nobody's fault directly. It's just the way that it is. And so what does this mean? What is this, how does this translate? What this means is, is that there is a proclivity now in us psychologically. This is what he says. What that creates in the human psyche is a state of being used to hearing vast amounts of information... A lot of it bad, even some of it good. Psychology, science, self-help, being moved by it, then doing absolutely nothing about it. So when Jesus addresses this story that all of us have heard, he didn't say there, was, there were two dudes that built a house. One heard the word and the other didn't. And the guy who heard the word, his house stood. And the guy who didn't hear, he's the one, oh, nah, 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 nah. His house went down because you don't know enough. No. Jesus said both of these guys were in the same room, hearing the same information. The difference was one of them put it into practice and the other didn't. Have you ever felt that before? We got a lot of information. 
Like, have you ever counseled someone on even a subject that you struggle with? And like all of this beautiful wealth of knowledge is just flowing out of you like a fountain in Rome. You're like, yes, do this, don't do that. And then like basic application of that wisdom in your own life, virtually impossible. You're like, I wish I could do what I told that other person to do. You know what I mean? Like that's what happens. We have tons of head knowledge. Head knowledge is not the issue. And there are people in the church that believe that like the issue, like discipleship issue is, a, is an information issue. If we just get more classes for people to learn more stuff, then they'll be disciples. Actually, if you look at how Jesus mentored and discipled people, he gave a lot less information and a lot more doing. Hey, guys, follow me. Where are we going? <laughs> I'm not telling you. Come on. Who are you? Who is this man that even the, the sea and the storm obeys him? You'll find out. Just keep coming. You know what I mean? Like a lot more doing, a lot less knowing. Figure it out as we go. Get in a small group and figure it out as we go. Did I have, have I mentioned small groups today at all? Join the, join the dream team. Figure it out as you go. We know enough. All the cumulative knowledge in this room, we know enough to see Santa Rosa come to see Jesus. It's a doing issue, not a knowing issue. Amen? It's a doing issue, not a knowing issue. So real quick, James chapter 1 and 22. James was the pastor in Jerusalem, and he hated duplicity. He hated when what was revealed was different than what was underneath the surface. James James 1 and 22 says this, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Don't just hear the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Self-deception. That because I know more, because I'm well informed, we're all good. I've seen a lot of Christians, believers who were well informed, the storm came, all the signs, they had all the cracks in the wall, and they're like, what's wrong with the house? Storm comes, and it's blown to smithereens. And they go, what happened? It wasn't a head knowledge thing. It was the foundation. And why is the foundation so important? Because when you're building a home, you start with the foundation. Foundation is where you begin. You see, making this walk with Jesus. It's not like I'm going to build my life the way I want and then when I'm done I'm going to put some Jesus sprinkles on top so he can bless it. You can't cover up bad ice cream with sprinkles. It looks good but it tastes horrific. How many like yogurt, like frozen yogurt? I wish I could go back in time not to invent, like not to invest in Bitcoin which would be cool or Amazon would be cool but like these yogurt places, it's a brilliant model. Like we're going to give your kid a cup, and we're going to let them pull the lever. And then we're going to weigh how much they put in there, and you're going to pay for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, let the kid determine the amount. Make the cup big so they can't see it going up until it's above the lip or the lid of the cup. Brilliant 
We will undermine and destroy families one at a time. One yogurt cup at a time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sir, that will be $40 for your yogurt tonight. But we're going to give you a stamp. You can come back. And ten more times, you'll get a free cup. Small cup right here. Like, that's how I feel about it. Anyways, this is, this is, this is not like sprinkle Jesus on my plans. This is like he has to be the starting point. I'm building my life on the principles, the passion, the values of Christ, his words. And whenever we study the Beatitudes, can I just tell you, like half of the Beatitudes are not Jesus teaching or reteaching the Torah. It's him going, I want to, I want to make this full and alive. He's not like, hey, we're going to do an expose on the Old Testament. He's like, I want to show you how to take an Old Testament idea and turn it into action. So you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So if someone somehow pulls your eyeball out, you don't go and pull their eyeball out. He says, I want you to turn the other cheek. He's talking about these cheeks, not any other cheeks. You know what I'm talking about. Someone slaps you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. I want to teach you how to truly fulfill the law. These are the things. He says, this is just the practical stuff of how to live out God's word in your life. God, he's making it practical. And he says, those who hear it and do it, they're the ones who are building their life on the rock. Those who hear it but don't put it into action, they're the ones who are building their life on sand. And so today, you have to inspect your house. You have to ask the question, am I built on the rock? Is this all head knowledge and goosebumps and, and, and uh, you know, kumbaya, feel warm and fuzzy, come to church? Or am I actually executing God's plan for my life? Put it into action. Put it into action. The law of inertia, Newton's law of motion. A thing, are you ready? This is deep. Put your thinking caps on. You ready? A thing that is sitting in a place, I'm going to paraphrase. If there's no outside change, then that thing will remain in that place until something outside of that thing changes where it is. So if I remain doing what I'm doing, I'm going to remain getting what I'm getting. It's going to take some kind of willpower to start putting into action change. And that change is going to beget more change and better change. And I'll tell you what, we were working on this building. I appreciate our staff and team who we were in the office three days a week, church on Sunday, and then here for four days a week working in this building for two years. And you're like, we're never going to get done. 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 And then you're like, here it is, the final nail. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it's like the most amazing moment. They're like, oh, but now we have to paint and do the floors. And you're like, no. But as you come to an end, you look over your plans. And these, these engineers, these architects, they all, have to all come together and they have to sign off on everything. Because 
the main thing is not that everything looks good, but that everything is safe. That if there was an earthquake or a flood, like literally we could have water like 12 feet high out here and this floor would not flood because we have a nice $40,000 drainage system underneath here. Mm. You'll never see it, but it's there just in case you're wondering. We also put a bunch of scriptures and prayers in this foundation. Yeah. It's the foundation. It's the foundation. It's the foundation. It's the foundation. So we put up a wall. We're not worried about it. We got the right kind of semen. Got the right coating. We got it all. We got it tied in. It's all done right. Signed off by engineers. Yes, I'm an engineer. I will sign that off. Please pay me $500. Yes, we'll do it. Thank you for your signature. All right. How do I become an engineer? Anyways, another story, another day. The foundation matters. And my question as we start the sermon series is, what are you built on? How's your foundation? What's your starting point? You're building. I know you're building. You're building a life. You're building a legacy. You're building a home. You're building a ministry. But what is it built on? Because the day is going to come when the storm will reveal what you're made of. Amen? And we're not just picking up pieces and we're not just doing cosmetics. We want your life to be anchored to the rock, to Jesus, walking with him, knowing him. Amen? Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? Amen. Those who hear my words and put them into practice. You know how you become good at something? Practice. He didn't say, hear my words and put it into be a pro. He said, put it into practice. Just start practicing. Practicing. You're going to get better. Just start practicing. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we honor you. I thank you. I thank you for your amazing grace that gives us these moments to look deep inside our hearts, to ask the hard questions. What is our life built on? Because when the pressure comes, the heat is turned up, the storm comes, we want to stand. We're building legacy. We're building family. We're building homes. We're building lives. We're building, and we're building something that will honor you. Paul said he was a wise builder. And to take into account how you build, how you build, putting our faith into action, stepping out of the boat, what is comfortable, what is normal, what is easy, stepping out of the boat and into the storm and out to where you are. Thank you, Lord, for our experience and thank you for all that we've learned and all that we've gleaned and all that You've spoken into our hearts, but Lord, don't let us deceive ourselves by hearing and not doing. I honor you. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your strength. You're so faithful. You're so faithful. You're so faithful.